Hey everybody, welcome to Before the Echo, a new podcast dedicated to providing tactical strategies for deer hunters, with a little bit of everything else mixed in as well. Uh, I'm your host, Josh Talker, and today we'll be talking to the podcast regular, Dan Infault. Dan really doesn't need much of an intro, um, but he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to deer hunting. He's the founder of The Hunting Beast and co-owner of Hunting Beast Gear. Uh, But before we get Dan on the line, I want to thank Stealth Outdoors for being a sponsor of the show. Stealth Outdoors is your tree stand silencing store. I use it on all my gear, and my favorite products, probably the buckle silencers. Um, Typically, if you're going to be climbing in and out of your stand or setting your your sticks and stands up, um, you're going to make some noise. It's going to be because you you clanked a buckle against your sticks or your stands. So get some uh, buckle silencers and put on those buckles to prevent that from happening. Uh, they make all types of gear kits to fit your sticks and your stands, and they come pre-cut, which makes it super easy to install. They're also super durable, um, and they'll last you for, for, for years to come. Um, you're not, you don't have to replace them very often. Uh, super nice product, super affordable product. Uh, go to StealthOutdoors.com and get you some gear silencing tape. All right, let's get into the episode. How's it going, Dan? going good how you doing oh not you just too get out of the woods yeah yeah i just literally got out of the truck and came into my barn here to to record this so um yeah had a decent night i saw um one probably like a 120 inch 10 pointer that needs like two more years probably and he could be a, a real nice one he's probably like a two-year-old right now um nice yeah so i'm uh I guess I'm looking forward to in a couple of years. Did you have them nice and close? No. He was probably 100 yards away from me out in that in the CRP field. I was <clears throat> I was running late this evening. I just didn't get off work in a, uh, in, a, in a good time or whatever and ended up going and just doing an observation sit over that big CRP field on that one farm I can hunt. And um, he ended up coming out of the bedding area just right, I mean, right at closing time. I got some decent footage of him, but... Um, wasn't close up footage by any means. I wouldn't have been able to shoot him or anything. I wouldn't have shot him anyway. But um, yeah, I thought I was going to get skunked again for the fifth night in a row, but ended up seeing him. So <laughs> it was a decent night. But uh, I figured we'd get on here and uh, talk a little bit about your um, buck you killed this year, early season in, in Wisconsin. Um, something we really other than the video probably haven't got into in in real detail and i know a lot of guys would like to hear um you know the the ins and outs and some of the decision makings you you did uh to leading up to killing that buck and then even some of the decisions you made afterwards i think were really important too we can talk about um yeah so um i guess and i i've talked to you about the buck you know, a decent amount, but I, I probably have some questions too of my for my you know selfish regions to, to talk to talk about. So, um, I guess starting off, like you talked about the the spot was you know a spot that you you just found and it was kind of an overlooked spot. Um, I guess how how did you come about the spot or where um, what was unique about this spot that made it an, an overlooked spot per se um, in in a marsh that you obviously have some history with. Well. Um... I was in that area particularly because of that buck and two other bucks that were living in that section. Um, and uh, I was getting frustrated hunting them um, because they're living in just solid cattails and they're hard to kill. Um, 
So I really wanted to just really break down the section they lived in. It's very remote and uh, find some kink in the armor, you know. And uh, I came across this bed in area that's hard to see um, on a map, and it's hard to see from ground level. You have to kind of stumble into it. And it's just a little higher than the cattails in the water, and it's grassy, hmm. but it's got a strip of willow, gra- uh, willow brush in it. And the willow brush was all full of rubs, and I knew that that buck was living right in that area. So um, that told me that, uh, you know, the rubs told me that um, at least one of those big bucks is bedding there. You know, probably all three of them occasionally. Right. Um, if they're still alive. Now, I, I had intel on uh, the, the big one, the one I got, that he was still alive. Um at least more so than uh, the other two. The other two, I hadn't gotten on camera in quite a while. Maybe they got winged or something. I didn't hear about anybody shooting them, mm-hmm. but I haven't been seeing them. What, what kind of um, intel did you have? That kind of um, my intel was getting them on camera okay. and uh, uh, after gun season the year before mm-hmm. and uh, scouting in there and signs of of you know big bucks in there, but uh, I hadn't seen. The other two, um, since um, one of them in, in over a year, and the other one in you know since the early season, but you don't see them a lot because they're right. just in this really remote area, you know. Um, so um, what I learned about that bedding area was looking at it and, and deciphering it was that they're bedding in willow brush and they're rubbing it. So I know they have hard antlers when they're bedding there because they're rubbing, right? Mm-hmm. There's rubs everywhere. Now what's interesting about that is these beds were worn out and well used, so there was deer there quite a bit at at least one portion of the time, and it was buck bedding, and there was probably you know 40, 50 beds in there. And what I know about the willow brush is it loses its leaves mid October, so uh, that told me that all that rubbing sign and that bedding sign was from early season. Mm. You know, from when the antlers got hard until mid-October. I mean, that's not a very long period. No. So that told me that there's something good bedding there during that time period um, every year, you know, or, or you, you, the, the sign was historical. Yeah. What so do you, what do you think for at least a hol- couple of years. What do you think was holding them there that time of year as opposed to, you know, getting into mid-October? Um, security cover. He's getting out of the water. Gotcha. He lives in an ocean. I mean, everything is underwater, so he has to find high spots to bed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, so this yeah, but, was I guess, one a high spot that had had decent bedding, but he's not going to lay there in the in the bare sun. Yeah. Um, and that's a good tip for guys that are looking at beds. If you're looking at a bed that's out in open grass, if they're not getting under the grass and stuff, they're probably not laying there in that open sun all day long. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. Um, so, I mean, that intel was was huge because that tells me that buck is there. You know, from um, from early September to the mid-October range, he's got to be there just about every day because of the sign. Mm-hmm. So um, it was obvious nobody had ever hunted there. I mean, um, I should say never. Um, but um, the only good tree to hunt out of um, was a bush, you know. So um, I had to get up and, and 
make a spot to hunt out of, you know, and, right. and, uh, um, uh, there's some invasive bushes and buckthorn bushes around it. I mean, it's pretty much a jungle of buckthorn. Buckthorn's invasive. You can cut branches off of buckthorn. It's legal because they're invasive. You can remove them. Right. Um, so I cut holes for shooting lanes out of those and made it a huntable spot in, in the spring when I found it. Now, what was nice about this spot is it really, I mean, there's a, there's a spider trove of, of trails coming from its bed, as you'd imagine. Mm-hmm. But the, the trail coming out of there um, that that I felt was the um, the buck exit trail going towards food sources and away from the ocean of cattails and water um, only came out one way and went right past that bush tree. Mm-hmm. So um, it looked to me like the perfect setup. So... Um, um, set it up and then it was just waiting again. You know, now when you look at that stuff in spring and you decipher it like that and, you, and you're really confident on what you see from that, from there out, you know, you pretty much leave that area alone. Now, I didn't completely leave it alone. I went back in, uh, uh, with Rick in like July or yeah, I think it was July or right the start of August of the year that I found it, which is known as two years ago. Right. Right. And, uh, um, it was such a jungle getting back there that I actually made a trail through the cattails in the water. The water was knee deep to um, go back there in a way, because you had to kind of go past the bedding to get back. It was kind of locked, locked up in a corner, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I made a trail to get around there so I wouldn't get you know off the trail and make a lot of noise when I went past the bedding at 200 yards, you know, and... Uh, um, then I needed a specific wind and I needed it to be brisk because you're going to make noise in there. You can't help it. And I had to get into that tree that's fairly close to the, to the bed. So how far do you think it was? was other, the bed? Well, it was probably about, uh, 75 yards. Okay. Um, but I also had satellite bedding right. all around that tree. So, um, I mean, the, the does and the younger bucks that are out there, um, wouldn't be allowed to bed with a mature buck like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm assuming that that's the kingpin's bed, but, you know, the uh, Big Ten. So um, that first year, I went in there and uh, I waited for that north wind and a brisk one. And I got it in the you know, first few days of the season, went in there and got in there and hunted it and uh it was a pretty good wind and i was able to sneak up to the tree slide into the tree and you're only you know uh three sticks up and i could probably do it in two sticks but you're trying to be real quiet so you use more sticks so that you're not moving all over the place or making noise so once you get above the cattails too a deer could literally see you out of the bedding mm-hmm. you know it's quite possible he could be looking at you so i use three sticks but i'm probably only up two sticks high and uh, uh, I sat there till about an hour before dark and a doe pops out of the bushes bedded you know 15 20 yards from me never heard me set up my stand or anything (laughs) that's why that brisk wind was important you know right 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 and uh, she starts feeding and um, 
And then another doe pops up, like in between me and the, the buck bedding, you know, in some grass, um, probably at 25 yards. And she starts feeding in my direction directly and actually comes into the thick brush and goes right underneath me and gets right under my tree. I mean, where she's, you know, five feet from me. Right. And I had a couple sticks laying on the ground and she looks at the sticks and looks at the tree and looks up at me and just explodes out of there and then runs in a circle, goes back out where she came from in between me and that buck or me in that bedding area. And what's interesting is as she was coming into that brush, I could hear a buck coming out of that, uh, that buck bedding area. At least uh, let's say, I assume it's a buck, right? Right. Cause it's coming from the buck bedding area. It's coming down the trail. And, um, when that doe went around and started blowing, everything got quiet then. And when the doe finally left, I could hear whatever was coming in from the buck bedding area doing a wide loop around me. Um, so that was my virgin sit, which is usually my best attack on a spot like that. It's the first time you hit the, you hunt it, you know, and then after that it's kind of game on, you know? Right. Um, then they know they're being hunted. Um, so I did wait like a couple more weeks and tried it one more time and it was a ghost town sign had dried up, which I expected. I mean, you get in that close, you know, to bedding areas, you get one brag. Right. So then I just left it alone because you don't want to, you know, overhunt a spot like that. So I was really anticipating this year waiting for it. And, you know, I think a lot of guys listening to this are probably thinking, well, you know, when I'm hunting a buck, what am I supposed to do? Like a one spot, I can hunt it once. Well, I'm hunting all kinds of deer. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I do have other spots that I'd hunt for that deer, but there's one spot that I really believe that's going to kill them, and that's that spot. But, like, this year comes around, and um, first year I go after is this big 200-inch buck that uh, I was chasing last year, and I go, go after him, and I screw up that hunt royally, and I had a series of screwed up hunts. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the fifth day of the season comes and I got that North wind, that brisk wind, um, from the North. So I went circled in there and I can remember thinking, what am I going to do? You know, if this does show up, how am I going to handle that? You know? And I was thinking, well, maybe I should just shoot her. Cause if she just runs off and dies it's better than blowing, you know? Right. Um, then I thought, nah, I probably shouldn't, but I was, I was, you know, just hope that they just pass through or something. But luckily I didn't get faced with that dilemma. No mm-hmm. does came in, um, which is usually the case when you're in these remote buck bedding areas. But if you saw those there once, there's usually those that are getting next mm-hmm. time. But, uh, it got to be right at about sunset. I heard the deer coming from the, the, the bedding area. You know? And what, what's unique is uh, um, looking from the tree, and when I scouted, you could see that the trail coming from the buck bedding area, all the tops of the, uh, the cattails are broken over where a rack would go through. So you know something big's coming in and out of there, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I hear those cattails 
start going. I hear to hear, hear to the muck, and you can hear the buck coming. And uh, the cattails are making noise. Now that's always a sign of a buck because when those does come through, you just hear the muck because they they slip right through. They don't have antlers catching right. the cattails. You know, little bucks slide through too. But when you got a big rack, you, you hear that and you see cattails moving. I had that going on, and uh, you know it's getting your heart racing a little bit. And I'm imagining that could be that big ten pointer I'm after. And I'm staring at the hole that comes out of that trail. And you see the trail vividly from my yeah. tree stand. And as I'm staring, here comes the buck I'm thinking about and hoping for right up out of that hole. Comes walking in, and I mean, it was a pretty good feeling. I mean, even if you don't kill a deer like that, I mean, it's a huge, uh, huge uh, adrenaline feeling to put all that work into it and pick the one tree you've got to be in to kill that thing and have it happen, have it come out of the bed he's supposed to come and walk to you. I mean, it's cool. He came in, and he... Uh, he was walking right up to me to, you know, less than 10 yards. He was going to pass by me. And he got behind this bush, and I pulled the bow back, and he was really walking kind of fast. So when he was behind this bush, I tried to pull the bow back a little fast. And when I did, um, when the cams went over, the bow kind of slapped back yeah. and made a little tick noise. And you can clearly hear it on the video. And that buck just locks up. And... Through the bushes, I could see pieces of him as he looked up at me, and he stared at me, and it felt like a few minutes went by, but in hindsight, watching the video and timing, it was 30 seconds, but I'll tell you <laughs> what, it, it felt like it was three minutes, Yeah, you know, and uh, but it was 30 seconds, and I'm thinking he's either going to bolt, or he's going to, you know, back where he came from, or he's going to run forward, but he is locked on me. Now, he can't see me because he's looking through bushes. But I can tell his head is looking right up where the sound came from, straight in my direction. After that 30 seconds was up, he started walking again. He flicked his tail and started walking again right through my opening instead of running back. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, I've seen this play out before. Now I make a noise. Like, so I go, eh, that thing's bolted. You know, he, that's not the time to stop him because... He's already heard a noise in that tree. He hears noise number two. Don't let him walking fool you into thinking he's stupid. Yep. Big bucks are not stupid. I've seen him bolt a million times and, and just a, you know, a hairpin noise after they've already detected something. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I'm thinking he's, he's gone if I make a noise. So I just stayed at full draw that whole time. And I kept that pin on him as he came walking out. And about the time he hits broadside, I'm swinging with him and I'm trying to lead just a little bit um, because he's walking pretty fast. And I touched the, the release. And when I touched the release, and when I slow it down in slow motion, you can see it real well, the sound of that boat going off before that arrow even gets to him, he drops and lunges forward. So... Number one, he was walking faster than I thought, and I, I, I hit further back than I thought. And number two, he lunged forward at the sound of the release because he was on pins and needles, which even tells me even more if I would have tried to stop him. It wouldn't have worked. Right. Uh, and I ended up hitting him in the guts. Um, from the tree, I didn't think I was as far back as I was. I thought I was uh, 
you know, more up into the liver, lungs. Uh, when actually I was kind of like, uh, actually he was uh, on video. It wasn't as a perspective, right? I perceived it. The way I saw it, he was broadside, um, probably perfectly broadside. Right. But video don't lie. And, and looking back at that video, he was quartered to me a little bit. Um, it's funny how, you, you know, um, video actually uh, teaches you that what you see and think you saw isn't always reality. Oh, yeah. And um, that, he was. Yeah, and that, that's happened to me now that, you know, I'm videoing everything. It's like. Um, th- things on, uh, you know, you put something on YouTube or, or whatnot, you know, people will comment on, man, that was a awful shot, you know, or whatever. And like, well, in real life, it didn't look that bad. You know, um, it's, it's, right. it's funny right. how, right. it's funny how that works out like that. Um, but I've had video cameras lie to me on many occasions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. It'd be easy to sit in an armchair and, uh, you know, nitpick with somebody else. Oh, it's a little yeah. harder to sit in the tree and, 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 and live it. Yeah, and there's you know, pl- um, there's plenty of them out there that like to nitpick, so. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And you, you just let them. Oh, you know? yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, um, one day they'll have that big buck in front of them that'll happen to them, and mm-hmm. then they can, they can listen to everybody nitpick them. You know, but, you know, I, I don't care. I mean, no, it's, part it's all of good it. if the conversation's for education, you know, and, and if, if people, um, you, you don't want us to say you shouldn't take that shot, yeah, you probably should. Yeah, you know, um, be living, you learn from that stuff. But regardless, I don't think I took a bad shot. I, I think, uh, you, you know, um, is probably. Uh, I don't think I would have done any good trying to stop him. Um, uh, I think waiting a couple more steps from him to see if he slowed down or if he uh, got a little more quartering away. But in my eyes, he was, you know, he's perfectly broadside. Right. Um, but I can't stop him from lunging forward. You know what I mean? All I could have did is not shoot at all. Right. Um, so, you know, that stuff happens. Um, but regardless, I hit him. He, uh, he mule kicked, and he ran in a semi-circle, and he went to 25 yards, and he just looked like he was going to head right back to his bed and area, which is kind of common when you shoot. Big bucks were close to bedding. Often they run back in their bedding area. That's their secure area. That's their safe zone. They laid there all day and they know no danger came near them. You know, so know that that's safe. So mm-hmm. he did a semi-circle and tried to go back. But when he got behind some bushes, he stopped. And um, if he took a couple more steps in that circle, I'd have a shot. So I sat there with a, I got an arrow on and I was waiting and I could see into the cattails over there a little bit, too. And I'm like, well, if he gives me another shot, I'm going to put another one in him. Because I knew I was back a little bit, and I knew he didn't drop when he went back there. I could hear him walking around a little bit. But then it got quiet, and about five minutes went by. Then I heard a couple more footsteps, but still only at about 25 yards. And then a lot longer amount of time went by, like maybe 15 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like he laid down, like he moved a little bit and laid down. And, uh, at that point, um, it was starting to get a little dusky, you know, cause, uh, uh, I think it was more like getting closer to closing time at about that time. And I thought, well, if it gets dark, I'm going to have a hard time sneaking out of here. And, uh, I just, uh, snuck down the tree and snuck out very quietly 
and just let that buck be, didn't check on my arrow or anything. And, you know, if you know you hit a deer back a little bit, the last thing you want to do is bump that thing because it'll go forever. Mm-hmm. And I listened intently. I never heard the deer get up and move, you know, as I snuck out of there. Um, and at that time period, it had gotten calm. It was windy when I got there, but as is often the case, at dusk, it got real calm. So I'm sure that deer heard me, but I, I would think I would hear it get up too. And maybe it got up and moved. I don't know. But uh, I got out of there. And um, because that's a huge maze of water and cattails, and you can walk right past the deer at 10 feet. Um, and I knew it was potentially hitting the liver or guts. At the time, I thought I had you know, liver and lungs and, uh, liver back of the lungs. And, uh, I went home and, um, looked at the footage and, uh, in, you know, high def, looking at it frame by frame. Yeah, it appeared I hit it maybe even further back than I had thought from the tree. So, um, I scrambled around until I found, um, uh, a real good, reputable, um, dog guy. Um, and, uh, it's Max, Max is the name of the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on, uh, Facebook and he's friends with some friends and I got some good, uh, recommendations about him. So I called him and he came right out in the morning and, uh, and his dog ran right through that deer. Um, <laughs> the deer had gotten, I don't know, 250, 300 yards and, uh, um, it had taken some crazy turns and stuff, and it would have been it would have been an interesting deer to find. Yeah. So I think I would have found it, but it would have been some work, and it could have took uh, a good portion of the day. And it was a pretty warm day, so I was glad I called him. Um, we got right to the deer, and we were able to salvage all the meat and, and all that. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, uh, pretty cool hunt. Um, Everything went perfect except for the shot. Right. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it's what you what you did there, backing out without even you know, if you would have went and looked for your arrow, even, uh, which I know in the in the yeah. in the cattails there, it's about like finding a needle in a haystack anyway. But um, you know, if even if you would have done that, that could have been enough to you know bump that buck. Well, it would have been because uh, yeah, uh, the deer stopped bedded at twenty five yards from me. Yeah, and that would have put me half that distance to him. Obviously, that would have jumped him. Yeah, yeah, and it's whenever you shoot something like that, it's so hard not to get down and go look. At, you know, you think, oh, it's only you know the my arrow's only twenty yards out there. In your case, you know, closer than that. It's so hard not to go and look for that. And then I think that's a really good lesson for guys. Like finding that arrow really isn't going to change anything. Which what you need to do um, in reality, and so you know, backing out without even looking, you know, for your arrows was definitely the right thing to do. Um, right. Yeah, because a lot of guys would have just... It's hard to get that across. That people oh, yeah. Do. I mean, I get calls all the time. People say, hey, I, you know, I shot a deer. Uh, I hit a little far back. Um, what should I do? And you tell them to wait. And uh, the next day you talk to them, wow, I waited an hour. I went in there and I bumped them. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, why'd you call me? Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they just can't, they can't wait, you yeah. know. And, yeah, yeah. You know, you try, you try to talk them into it because, you know, the reason uh, I got those suggestions for people is because 
I've been there, done that, you know, gone on those tracks and yep. I've bumped deer and uh, I've, I've tracked deer for people that have bumped deer and, and uh, the outcome is usually pretty negative once you're bumping things. Um, I remember one I bumped, uh, I, I liver shot it um, in cold weather. My boat didn't uh, function well. That was, I mean, this is way back in 1990, I think. It was a big 11-pointer I shot. New Year's Eve, there's snow on the ground. And I thought, there's a lot of blood. And I thought, oh, I could just, I'm going to give this thing just an hour or so, and I'll find it. You know, and if I bump it, so what, there's snow. Right. Well, I went and I did bump it. And that's how you learn those lessons. I mean, I ended up, that deer would have been bed, dead in that bed, you know, the next morning. I ended up tracking that deer. I don't know, it had to be like eight miles or nine miles. Mm. Um, just zombie walk until it, it literally where I found it dead. It wasn't even in the bed. It just like fell over dead. Um, and uh, I had to go through painstaking efforts to get that deer, um, get permission to go after it and all kinds of to finally get it out. You know, and, I mean, all because I tracked it too soon. Yeah. Um, and if there wasn't snow, there's no way I would have found that deer. Right. And another right. thing is too, what, what people don't realize is when they, when they track a deer like that, um, and then they call a dog, the dog is not as good as finding the deer once it's been tracked. Yeah. But these people don't remember or, or realize is if once they do grid searching and stuff, or they walk up and down that deer's trail and they walk up and down different trails, they're getting that blood on their shoes. They're getting that deer's scent on their shoes. And they're cross-contaminating that stuff, and they're walking it all over the place. So now that deer's scent trail goes in multiple directions. You know, um, you you walk up and down that trail following that deer, you get his interdigital scent, which is what the deer, the dogs track on, on your shoes. Right. You get his blood on your shoes. You got any doubt, get a dog. Yep, for sure. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, and with all the resources we have now with Facebook and the groups, I think... And the and the guys that do that dog tracking stuff, that's what they you know, that's what they love to do. They love to do that, like we love deer hunt. You know, that's their their hobby. So most of the time, they're itching to go track a deer with their dog. Um, and I think right. I think maybe in the future, you know, we'll probably get uh, maybe the guy that tracked your your deer on here and talk a little bit about that and educate people on it, just so uh, you know, talk about how you can find these pe- these dog trackers and and what to do in a scenario when you're not sure. Um, or if you, yeah, Scott, you know. Scott is a, a, a true resource in tracking too, because, uh, anybody who's, uh, you know, been on a lot of tracks mm-hmm. and I have too, you know, you learn a, lot, a thing or two yeah. and, uh, it would be great for us to, um, compare notes and see, you know, cause I got a lot of different philosophies and a lot of people have in tracking because of what I've learned over the years and I don't let other people, uh, and, and, and their views. And t- and, you know, um, change my, my thought process. I learn everything through trial and error in the woods. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I notice a lot of things that I think about tracking. Um, other people um, say, well, that, that's not true. That's, you know, just, just a whole, uh, you, you know, old philosophy of wait a half an hour. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. <laughs> if, they're, if, if they're hit through the uh, through the vitals, they're going to die pretty quick. Yep. If yep. they're hit anywhere else, waiting a half an hour is just going to let them bed down and clot up, and, and then you're going to kick them out of his bed. 
you know, you either wait a long time. <laughs> or yeah. You right on no, them, that's a know? good point. I think, yeah, if you make a good shot, they typically die on their feet and then they just fall over, you know, and that's the end of them. Um, but yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I never thought of it like that, but yeah, usually I guess by the time you get down and get over there, it's probably been that long anyway, but, um, yeah, it's funny how, how, yeah, I'd love to get, uh, him on the show and, and, uh, the three of us have a conversation about tracking. That'd be cool. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I've made my fair share of bad shots too, and probably made some bad decisions on, on tracking. Uh, so yeah, it'd be useful. I think for everybody. Um, Yeah. Going back to the the deer day, I guess I, I had a couple of questions. What typically, like, in that area, what are those deer going to? Like, what food source are they going to, or, or what's in that area that those deer, you know, are, are in in that area? Or what are you, where, or, or, or I guess, what's their destination that that evening? Well, um, it could be a multiple of things. I know there's crops in the direction he's going. Yeah, but literally. Um, at this time of the year, or at least the, the time of the year when I when I shot him, mm-hmm. they're doing an awful lot of feeding on on just plants. Yeah, I mean they get into those low uh, wet areas that are brushy, mm-hmm. and they eat a lot of that um, uh, what's it called orange julep or whatever it's called mm-hmm. um, that watery plant. Yep, they eat a lot of stinging nettles. Um, they eat a lot of just green plants that. You, most people don't even know what they are. You know, you know what I mean? You got to be a biologist. Right. It doesn't really matter what they're eating. It just matters what direction everyone's in their beds. Yeah. Um, there is crops in that direction and it might've been eating crops, but, uh, a lot of people don't get that. It's not all about crops and acorns all the time. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things they feed on. Um, and in these swamps and stuff, when, when there's not acorns present, acorns are always a big draw, but early season, they're usually not heading to corn or, you know, clover or something like that. They're usually heading to some obscure green plant, you know, and, and those crops and stuff play into it later on. Like, like right now, this, uh, you know, uh, uh, mid-October time frame, mm-hmm. then corn becomes a huge draw. But when I shot that buck, it was September, and corn wasn't really a huge draw yet. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you, you kind of tipped that off uh, to me, I don't know, last week or so about, um, you know, obviously you're still taking, you're, you're still going out every now and again and stuff, and you're noticing the deer more and more and getting into the corn. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's uh, you got to stay on top of that kind of stuff for sure uh, throughout the year. We yeah. had we had a, oh, my gosh, Dan, this early season, you should have saw the acorns in the in the in the hills here. It was crazy, the amount of acorns this year. I don't know if it's just in my area it's that way, but, I mean, there was, uh, you in, in the hills here, You, I mean, you, you couldn't take a step without walking on an acorn this year, um, which made, made it a little bit Are tough. Are still hitting them hard like that? Um, yeah, I'm still seeing, I'm, I, I did a little scouting midday the other day, and, and there, was, uh, there was still a white oak that was, you know, kind of fairly freshly fallen and, and, uh, yeah, everything was eaten. There was turkey scratching everywhere, rubs around it, and um, so yeah, they still are. Um, at least they were, you know, they were, at least were over the weekend. So, um, and, and that's really what it's about. I mean, you're getting the fresh sign and hunting. Yeah. You know? Yep. 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 
Yeah, for sure. Not really worry about, uh, you know, a particular food source or looking for fields or something. I mean, you can look at that stuff, but go mm-hmm. out and read the signs. Right. Right. And they got to be there for, for you to kill them. So. Right. Yeah. And, and for me, a lot of times that these mature bucks in heavily pressured areas, they're bedding in the same spots at the same times of year, every year. It really doesn't matter where they're feeding. Yeah. You just get them where they're coming out of the bedding, you know? Right. Right. Well, is there, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about as far as that, that buck goes or, um, any details you left out? Um, you you know, I don't think we talked about the history of it. You know, um, I think the first time I seen that thing was probably in 2017 or 2018. (laughs) I'm not really sure. I know in 2018, um, I shot at it. Um, as a matter of fact, some people might even remember the story about it because, uh, I think it was in a video. We don't have the shot on video, but I was walking through cattails with, uh, Jeff G mm-hmm. and, uh, there's a particular bed out in the middle of those cattails that always holds a big buck right underneath the bush. And I crept down the trail to, there's like a point where it comes into a little bit of grass and opening and stuff. And you can see that bed at about 40 yards, which is rare <laughs> in the cattails. And every time in that section, I creep up on that spot. I creep up and there I come to him face to face in that bed. And, uh, I threw my gun up and he tore off through the cattails and he was running right away from me. And I, I was shooting right up his rear end. I had him right in the crosshairs, but I was shooting through cattails. Yeah. I think the cattails stopped the bullets. Yeah. Um, that was rifle season. So, um, that was, that was probably the first time I shot at him or, or not shot at him, but really had a close up. But I was seeing a big buck for two years there with big brows, and I think the one in 2017 was him too. Um, but 2018 for sure, and I got a bunch of trail cam pictures of him in 2018. He, uh, he had bigger brows in 2018, 2019, uh, and even last year. Um, but he didn't have as much mass. And this year he really started to put on the mass, and the time started getting shorter. Yeah. Um, so I, I believe he's an older deer. Um, probably in the seven-year-old range or eight years old, somewhere in there. We sent a tooth in to find out. Um, he can't be too old because he sure ain't going downhill. Cause right, his body, right. At least body size-wise, because he was probably pushing 240 dressed. Man, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's a lot of history with a deer. They don't typically make it that, that, uh, that many years. Yeah, I get some history with bucks like that. I usually don't kill them. I've always got bucks like that I'm hunting. Yeah. I keep a little of that under my hat because uh, it seems like every time I let information out, uh, people move in on, on what I'm doing. Yeah, for you sure. Know, um, which is sad. I mean, you'd think people would go hunt their own stuff, but uh, I mean, um, you find a spot, you know, nobody's hunted there. You got to set up the, the tree to hunt out of it. And then you show something on video and suddenly there's a couple of local guys that have been hunting there for 20 years. They've got trail cameras <laughs> in the area. They've had them there forever. They know about that buck. They've been hunting it, you know, and I don't argue with people like that. I just walk away. Usually too, um, like I show a spot like that. I killed a buck or whatever. Um, there'll be people that'll move in on that spot. And that really doesn't bother me because whenever I kill a big buck like that, it's from a new spot that I find. It's usually, once you hunt a spot like that a couple of times, you can kill bucks out of them spots repeatedly year after year. 
Yeah. But they're usually, once you get that kingpin, it's usually, you're not killing, you know, a six or seven year old buck. You got to go find a six or seven year old buck and then find his weaknesses and, and hunt him down. You're not you're typically killing him out of spots. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. You're killing yeah. him by, by hunting for him where he lives and where he goes, which is not where people are. So I don't mind when, you, you know, I, I shouldn't say I don't mind. It annoys me a little bit when people move into my, my stuff. But uh, really, it just motivates me more to uh, go out and, you know, seek out new bucks and new spots and stuff. And, and really, I get I get kind of bored of hunting the same spots over and over again. I want to, I want to, uh, new challenges. I want to, you know, learn new bucks, go after new bucks and stuff. And that's the thrill I get out of hunting is figuring out an area, figuring out a buck, figuring out his weakness, moving in and killing him. It's not figuring out a spot and then sitting there the rest of your life killing deer. Yep. 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 And I I know that's not everybody. I mean, some people (laughs) really enjoy their spots. Yeah. But, uh, for me, it's, it's about hunting deer. It's not about, you know, figuring out spots or figuring out woods. Once I figure them out, I grow bored of it. And I want to go find a new one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's more about the adventure and, and, uh, learning and, and seeing new places. Uh, but speaking of that, what, I guess, um, what do you got going on the rest of the year? I know you got the public land challenge this year coming up. It's, uh, the, I think the location's still a little bit disclosed. Um, but other than that, do you got, uh, anything else, um, on the table? Yeah. You, you know, I've been getting a lot of, uh, of uh, uh, messages from uh, um, people that seem a little lost. I mean, they're like, where's Dan? Uh, he's not in the videos lately, and, <laughs> you know, I don't know what to do. I had nothing to watch. <laughs> well, Josh is putting out videos. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <yep. laughs> uh, uh, problem is I'm tagged out, you know, so there's not much to watch. You know, I'm uh, uh, pacing the floor, so. But the keep. Ah, uh, the people happy, and, and uh, you know, it's nothing to do with me and keeping me happy, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to go on a killing spree for the next couple of weeks, oh, yeah. what I'm planning on doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I think I'm going to do a little Ohio, and then I'm going to go over to the, wherever they have the public land challenge, and meantime, if I, uh, in that couple of weeks, I'm out running around, if I happen to uh, tag out with where I'm at. I may just run over to another state, you know, maybe up to Michigan, maybe, you know, over to Pennsylvania, wherever the wind blows me. If, uh, if I got a couple of days and, uh, and, uh, you know, I hear about a destination, you know, so I might run over and, you know, find some guy at the, uh, viewer on the show or something and just team up with him and break down his area or something. Yeah, but I plan on going uh, on a killing spree for a couple of weeks. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, I at least knock one down. But nice knock a couple down, or yeah, yeah, you know. And then uh, eventually, I'll have to come back. Though, so. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, then, you... uh, when I come back, I'll have to um, uh, work my butt off for for about a week, and then I will um, take a week off for Wisconsin's gun season. Yep. And then when Wisconsin gun season ends, um, if I can retain that tag, I still have a week of muzzleloader season where I can either bow hunt or muzzleloader hunt. And uh, 
what is nice is we can uh, party hunt in Wisconsin. So right. um, I do um, hunt with a bunch of friends, and usually they're more than glad to throw a tag on something they can get some meat. So if I do shoot a nice buck gun season, I might uh, let them take the buck so I can hunt muzzle water too with the bow or something. Right. Um, we'll see. Um, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'll just throw my tag on it and be done with it. But, yep, uh, yep, yep, yep. Well, we still got our Fort well, McCoy we'll tag. We still got our Fort McCoy uh, tag. Oh, yeah. So. We, we're still going to do, uh, I think we're going to do another breakdown in late season, aren't we? Yeah, I, I think we're planning we're on it. I don't want to say where, but. Yep. Um, um, weren't we planning something like that? Uh, yeah, we kind of wanted to go somewhere yeah. during just the late season. It just seems like there's a lot of lack of lack of information on that kind of stuff, or at least hunts on on you know on YouTube and whatnot. So yeah. I think that'd be cool to do. Going, yeah, I think uh, uh, going freeze our tails off somewhere. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, Maybe take some of the guys that we've already hunted with. Maybe take somebody new. Um, anybody in mind? I don't know. I probably got a couple people in my head, but we'll have to see. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. probably while you're out running around somewhere, I may come up to your neck of the woods and hunt because I I got my Wisconsin tag still. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to go. Well, I'm out of town. It'd be a good time to yeah. in my spots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just talked about people uh, coming in on your spots, and I may you may get me on camera or something uh, in the next next couple weeks. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but I got a I got a Nebraska tag still. I got a Kentucky tag. Um, I always buy a Kentucky tag. I haven't even been down there. I guess I went one time uh, during September there just to kind of go check things out. But I don't know how much I'll get to go down there. Um, I was going to go down, they got a muzzleloader season in Kentucky, like October, like the middle of October. And it was last weekend and I had kind of planned on going down there, but then I ended up having a, my real job, my work, work, I had a trip, um, I had to go out of town, so I didn't get to go down there for that. But, uh, yeah, my, one of my buddies that lives down there killed a giant, uh, this over the weekend during that muzzleloader season. So kind of a unique season, um, down there. Um, but. Anyway, yeah, lots and lots of season left, so looking forward to it. So, um, yeah, you get up here, you might have to get a hold of Dave, the guy, the guy that uh, got his first buck and doe yeah. with, with me. Yeah. You know Dave, right? Oh, yeah. So uh, uh, his trail camera's been going nuts with the same nice buck walking past him constantly, and he's been begging Rick to go over and shoot it, and Rick keeps going, nah, I don't think so. I think I'll hunt over here or over there. <laughs> We can't we can't make fun of Rick too much. Maybe He's, I'll go hunt it in a couple of weeks or something, but it's not there. We can't oh make fun God, of Rick too much. He, dude, it's there every day. Nah, it's after dark by ten minutes. I'm like, well, go ten minutes over to where it's bedding. You know, okay, well, what's the problem here? I'm like, Josh would kill that thing. <laughs> oh. Uh, we can't talk about Rick. He's not here to 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 bring it back to us at all. That's but. the best time to talk. About <laughs> oh yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Uh, I hope he listens to this. Um. Anyway, yeah. So we're gonna try to do something like this. Uh, hopefully once a week, and um, we got plenty to talk about. Plenty of uh, people we can talk to. 
Uh, I'll probably bring on some of the the hunting beast members that uh, you know have some specialties or, or or do some things in unique ways, um, and bring to everybody to uh, keep learning. Um, I guess that's kind of what it's about is is uh, sharing information with you guys to hopefully you can pick up tips and tricks and also selfishly I can uh, pick all them up my myself. So um, yeah, with that I I don't really have anything else, Dan. Unless you, unless you want to say anything. No, no, I think I'm, I'm done. Yeah, and if, if you guys could, um, I think we're going to have this uploaded onto about any of your podcast platforms you listen to, so give us a follow and um, tell your friends about it, share it on social media and all that. Um, yeah, look forward to this. It's going to be, I think uh, I think it's going to be a, um, a good podcast for everybody. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.